As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, perfect. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stayskull, joined, as always, by my colleague and buddy, Paul Tenorio. Paul, what's going on, man? What's up, Sam? We're going to have to pay more attention to what each other are saying now actively because we're on YouTube. We're doing this on video now. I know. I have to stop picking my nose during the show. It's really unfortunate. It's going to be a very big challenge be for able you. To. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, for those of you that are watching on YouTube, thank you. Um, we're excited to try out this new experiment. Uh, there's a lot to talk about on this show. We had CCL action last night, Wednesday night. Um, Paul did a story with Chicago Fire owner Joe Mansueto that had a lot of interesting talk- talking points. There's some chaos, some earth shaking going on with the earthquakes and Matias Almeida that we want to dive in on. Um, so lots, lots to discuss along with the, the meteorites deal as well um, for MLS. So lots to get into this show, but let's start with the CONCACAF champions like Paul. I was at Red Bull Arena last night for New York City's, you know, world tour continuation. Um, their fifth home game in their fourth different stadium the, and state, for the, that matter. The New York City Wanderers. It, the Nomad FC, no home FC, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they are no longer in the competition um, because the Seattle Sounders drew them 1-1 last night after Seattle won the first leg in the Pacific Northwest 3-1 Last week, they advanced to the final against Pumas. Paul, you watched the game. It was not quite the same type of affair as we saw in leg one from an aesthetic standpoint, uh, but it was interesting and, and entertaining. What, what did you think of the match? Yeah, I mean, it, was, it felt very CONCACAF. Uh, for two MLS teams squaring off, I don't think you, you usually see that much shenanigans happening around the field. There were plenty of them. I liked it. I thought it was a game where people were mixing it up constantly. Um, you know, guys were kind of getting after each other. Um, and and I thought especially when NYCFC scored their goal in the second half, the intensity got even higher, as you'd yeah. expect. And it was entertaining. And, like, that's, that's what we want, right? I mean, yeah. I saw somebody tweeted last night, like, this idea of, like, there aren't enough of those types of MLS games early in the season where it feels like that level of intensity. And obviously this has the advantage of being a knockout game to get to a final, right? Like that, that that's going to take it to another level to a regular season game. But here we were watching what I think are the two best rosters in major league soccer square off in a a really intense, fun game to watch and a fun in a different way than the last game was fun to watch, which was also an entertaining Soccer game, more a little bit more of the soccer happening in that game than this one, but yeah, they they yeah. both brought it entertainment wise. Yeah, no, uh, I thought it was a, a really entertaining match in a much different way, like you just said. Um, to recap, for those who maybe missed it or, or didn't watch in full, Seattle, I thought started all right. Um, they definitely did not have the majority of possession for the first half hour. New York City FC kind of dictated in that end, but Seattle two narrow blocks of four defensively and they forced new york city wide on almost everything and they had a hard time creating chances i thought the midfield for new york city fc wasn't all that great in the first half um santi rodriguez was playing a little deeper than i thought he was going to 
no Maxi Morales, which hurt them from a creativity standpoint in that area. Um, and New York City did have a couple of chances, one off a turnover, um, one off of, a, I believe, a corner kick, if I'm remembering correctly. And they were kind of wasteful with both of them in the first half. Raul Ruiz Diaz was not. Um, they gave him an inch. He took a mile. Great team as goal. he's done a million times. Yeah, knew who. Big involvement with the assist. Well, let, let's save Nuhu because I am going to ask you later what it was like to watch Nuhu, Nuhu had live. a couple incredible Nuhu moments that probably weren't <laughs> on the broadcast that I do need to dive into. But um, yeah, really nice team goal. And I thought the goal, Paul, was sort of indicative of what the Sounders team can be, right? Because there were moments in that first half when they're under heavy pressure. New York City is way high up the field and Seattle is not bothered. Why? Because they have Jao Paolo and Albert Ruznak at the base of the midfield, and they can play out of almost anything. And I think you saw that a little bit on the goal, right? It was a great switch from Jackson Reagan to Nuhu on the left. Um, he laid it off to Ruznak, who was making a supporting run. And then Ruznak just like took his time with it, right? Took a couple of touches, drew in Tavon Gray, played the, the, the return pass for the through ball to Nuhu at the right time with the right weight. And he was able to square one in. I don't know how that ball got all the way to Rudiaz. <laughs> I'm very confused how Alfredo Morales did not get a foot on it. I think Alfredo Morales is probably very confused about that as well. Um, but it didn't. And Alex Kayans was just like a split second slow to step. And that's all Rudiaz needed. So, But that that play with Ruznak in particular, like those two, him and Jao Paulo in that space in the midfield, and then the knock-on effect of Christian Roldan, on the right wing, where I think he can be a little bit more impactful in terms of his attributes. Uh, I think the ceiling for the Sounders team is really high. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say going into the final that Seattle is the favorite, that they're the better team yeah, and they should win. they should win. They should win. And a bit of an advantage, right? They because they're going they're going to Mexico City first. They're going to the Estadio Olimpico in the first, first leg. I think that gives them an advantage, that they can play one way in that first leg try to keep the score as close as possible. Obviously, in an ideal world, you pick up a win on the road. But, you know, they're in control of this of this tie. And and I think, you know, you you're look... giving them control before it even starts. Yeah, because I think anytime <laughs> you, you're the second leg at home, you have a bit of an advantage that you can kind of plan out. I mean, if, if things of. go... I, mean, I think there's always pressure on the home team to get a result. And... You know, I think it lays out where you know exactly what you need at home is, is a bit of an advantage for Seattle. So, you know, I, I I like it for them. I think, again, I think they're the better team. I think the MLS teams had the better rosters in this year's tournament. And it would be a huge disappointment for Seattle to not win, win the first Champions League for an MLS team. I'm in agreement there. But before we talk too much about the final, let's talk a little bit more about that game because... Seattle scored the goal, and then the rest of the first half, they kind of controlled it the remaining 15 minutes. The second half was entirely, entirely different. Uh, Ronnie Dela made a sub at half. He brought on, on Gabriel Pereira, a, a young money signing for NYCFC, who we have not seen much of yet, um, for Nico Acevedo, and kind of changed shape, brought Talis Magno into the midfield, into a central role, and they started like hammering Seattle. Just wave after wave after wave of attack, scored five minutes in. And then forced Stefan Fry into numerous, a lot of saves. Numerous. <laughs> a saves. lot of saves. Hit the post a few times. Um, as Dela said after the game, they created more than enough chances to score the three goals they needed. There's no doubt about I, that. I think the XG was like three point something for NYCFC. It was like 3.2 to 0.8. Yeah. yeah. So it was, a, it was a fairly... Dominant is the wrong word to put it because I don't think the game felt dominant in any which way in the second half other than that it would but it was like it was certainly um a a gener a lot of chance generation the moments were there yeah and i thought stefan fry had the best line of the night it's like some teams you know they throw the kitchen sink they threw the bathtub yeah like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's how it, that's that's what it felt like in the second his half. save his kick save in the second half stefan fry among the many oh. cool moments i thought was just Spoke to like it was like Stefan Fry at his like peak, and he's yeah. he's past his peak now, like just age wise. But like mm -hmm. he can still put in a performance like that. Like that save yeah. was incredible. No, and it was it was just like a really I thought mature performance yeah. from Seattle, and not so much in terms of how they played, but more in terms of how they behaved. They never panicked. 
They never panicked despite being under it time after time after time for 40 minutes, basically. And they were, you know, they were embracing the dark arts kind of, right? They played beautifully in the first leg. And second leg, they were kind of like dastardly, you know? (laughs) They were milking the clock from the moment go. Uh, they were taking their sweet time with every throw in and goal kick and I set mean, piece. Rui Diaz and, tricked me at one point. Like when he went down holding his face, like I thought he had been like knocked yeah. out. And like, yeah. he stayed down for a while. NYC mm-hmm. FC did not stop playing because they were like, no. And yeah. then when the ball finally went out of play, he got up and was basically smiling. And yeah. I was, I, I think somebody, they, how many times did like a stretcher come out for a, a at least half a dozen <laughs> and and they only got on it once there was a play where knew who went down like one inch from the end line and refused to roll off the field he stayed on the ground the trainers came out as soon as the trainers came out he popped up and he was good didn't even take the treatment and it was a little risky because he had to come off while nyc had a corner <laughs> so not the best time to to lose a defender for sure but that was the way Seattle was going all night. And we've seen, I mean, it's not the most sporting tactics, right? It's, uh, you know, it's kind of crappy in a way. But we've seen Mexican teams, Central American teams do this in, in Champions League a million times. We've never, I feel like we've never really seen it from an MLS team. Yeah. And, and I feel like it's hurt them. And we saw it last night. And I think that's, it's weird to say, but I think it's like a legitimate step. For the, for the league in this competition. <laughs> I don't know. I think the weird part is that it came in an MLS versus MLS game. Like, it wouldn't have felt as shocking if Seattle was doing this against, like, Tigris. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we've got to, like, burn out the game. It was just... I think it just felt different to see it against another MLS team because you don't expect it. It's not how MLS games play out. It's not a part of yeah. this league. And so, it was kind of jarring to see it play out that way. But, you know, this this is a tactic used around the world and it's used around the world for a reason. We had just seen it earlier in the day in the the UEFA Champions League, Atletico Madrid, Man City. And Man City was doing it, which is a team that you never see do stuff like that because they can control a game with the ball. But they were playing Atletico Madrid and they said, you know what? We're going to use Atletico's dark arts against them. And it was very similar vibe. I have yeah. to believe that Seattle was inspired watching Man City earlier in the day. <laughs> Weird that Seattle would be inspired by the city football group Big Dog against the city football group number two club. But um, hey, maybe uh, be kind of an interesting parallel. Um, but I thought it spoke to the just kind of the maturity of the Sounders. And they're different than other MLS teams in this way. Not just in the fact that they are experienced and they have the big game experience and they have trophies and they've lost finals, right? And they've been in a final in six of the seven years now that Brian Schmetzer has been head coach or interim head coach. Um, But, you know, even looking at these two teams, like physically looking at them last night and the press box at Red Bull Arena is like right on the field. It's right behind the benches. It's kind of awesome, actually. Um, So you can see the expressions and the actions and you can hear what the players are saying and the coaches are screaming and all that stuff. And they're out there for the national anthems. And I'm looking at the two teams and I'm like, Oh, NYCFC are babies. And Seattle is like grown men. And yeah, the average age for the Sounders is like four years higher than NYCFC in terms of the starting 11s. And like, they've been through these things before. And the Sounders, you know, we've seen Paul, we've talked about it on the show. I think 700 times. But so many teams in MLS now are buying young with the idea of let's get this guy in. He's talented. We'll have him for a couple of years. He'll develop. He'll do well for us on the field. And then we'll sell him for profit and then rinse, repeat, right? The Sounders don't really play that game. Like they buy guys who are like 27 and they're like, we're getting this guy because he's going to help us win a trophy right now and for the next three, four or five years. And we saw that with when they signed Lodero and Rui Diaz and more recently Ruznak. Ruznak, yeah. Um, Jao Paulo as well. Same sort of deal. Uh, and I think that's kind of cool. I also think it makes it a somewhat easier task, that more narrow mission than what NYCFC is trying to do. 
right? Where they're trying to play and buy a bunch of 20, 21, 22. Talos Magno is 19, you know, uh, and, and win with them and, and then also sell them at some point. And they I did that, it, right? They, they won did. MLS Cup. They won last year. So, you know, yeah. it shows that what I like about it is it shows that multiple models can work. And it's, mm-hmm. it, I think it is challenging for Seattle in that you're not rewarded for that. Like, it makes roster building harder in this league for Garth Lagerwey. Like, the structure, somewhat. I mean, I mean let's sort of, but it makes it, it makes it easier to try and win, man. A yes and no. I mean, in today's MLS, I mean, this is new. This is new. The U22 initiative, you know, I don't think we're seeing the impact yet fully of what the U22 initiative can be and does. And what it does is it gives you three more uncapped spots, essentially. And yeah, but where the, the Sounders aren't, the DPs aren't all over the limit. But but what I'm saying is that if you choose that route, if he did choose that route of going over the limit and going more veteran and and kind of sacrificing those U22 slots, it could have a big impact on their competitiveness or their ability to compete at the level they're used to because the league has determined that buying and selling players is more important from a business perspective than, you know, considering kind of the different approaches to the soccer side of things. I I think that adding these spots is a good thing. And I think NYCFC showed you can win doing it. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't exist. I just think that it'll be interesting to see how Seattle over the next few years interprets the best use of that that rule under the model that's been so successful for them, which is to sign more veteran players, like older in their careers. And, and there is wiggle room to do that in the U22 initiative. It's U22 and you get three years of a player as a U22 initiative after you sign them. And so, you know, maybe Garth Lagerway, if, you know, if he's building rosters in Seattle for the next few years, maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe he's targeting 21 and 22 year old players that, that can, can kind of grandfather in to the rule over the next few years. But it's just an interesting, it'll be an interesting thing to watch because I agree that their approach for DPs and their approach for player signings is much more in the like in the now and yet they've been so good at building too right like it's like yeah they 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 are kind of the perfect sporting operation and that they've gotten both things right because clearly they've been successful for seven years for longer than that since they've come into mls the entire time they've been in the league (laughs) right since 2009 and and yet they also have this kind of ability to see for the now, like the roost next on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why they're kind of the team of the last. I mean, are they the team of the last decade? I think that's fair to say. I think so. Yeah. There's a reason why. There's a lot of reasons why. But um, we're seeing that kind of manifest now. And Paul, you, you touched on it earlier. Let's talk a little bit about the final. Like, this team should win. Pumas is not going to be easy. They've been a difficult out. They just they 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 fought tremendously against Cruz Azul in the second leg of that series the other night. Um, so it's not it's not going to be easy. But I think Seattle is more talented. Um, they might spend more money than Pumas. Pumas does not have a lot of money uh, at this stage in their life cycle. Um, and I think they should win this series. And I think they should do it comfortably. Isn't the right word, but decisively maybe like i'm not saying they're gonna crush them or blow them out but i think they'll be kind of the worthy winner or they should be kind of the worthy winner when it's all said and done yeah i mean again when we speak about how this team was formed and what the 11 looks like right now and 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 kind like when we talk about the success of a team in mls over the course of a season you can't just talk about the starting 11 kind of went on a rant about this the other day and speaking about an expansion team and really specifically about Charlotte that the only expansion team this season right the, the giveaway the 11 or 12 that you're leaning on early in the season is not going to be the team that you're leaning on in July and August and September it's just not like the season is way too long 
the grind of the summer and the travel and all those things, international call-ups and injuries and this and that, they're going to force you to dig into your depth. But for this competition right now, at this point, two games left, barring, you know, a major injury in the next couple weeks, like I look at this 11 and I'm like, yeah, man, they could compete against the best of Liga Mekis. And I don't think that's who they're facing in the final. No. So Pumas in 10th place right now through six, <laughs> 16 or 13 games, 16 points. Yeah. Um, this isn't Tigres or America or Monterey of, of years past. It's right. Not. So you've got and, the, the very best of MLS against currently one of the worst. Mid, mid table. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. You're right. I shouldn't say one of the worst, but one of the middle teams, middling teams, that's that's there. They're there, but they're not the powerhouse. No. What they do have, though, is a striker in great form in Dineno. And uh, that always gives you a puncher's chance. Uh, Mozo, the right back. I mean, I would love to see him and Nuhu on the same team. Be a lot of fun. Um, I guess they're going to go against each other head to head. That'll be oh, that'll be a good match. Your loyalties. I, I shouldn't say they'll be torn. Your loyalties always no, lie with Nuhu. Not. No. So to close the loop before we wrap up the first segment here, I have to talk about Nuhu a little bit. Of course. So I I tweeted this out, but hopefully not all of you are following all of my tweets and this will be new information for you. (laughs) Um, There were a couple of moments in the game. One was it was in the second half. He was wide open and he wanted the ball switched to him and he's calling for it, but he wasn't calling for it like a normal person. It was like I mean, I guess we're on we're on YouTube now, so I can like recreate it while sitting down. But he was like double windmilling, like both arms. Whoa! He was like bouncing up on up and down. He was doing this weird <laughs> hip thrust thing, like while waving his arms around like a maniac. Um, they did not pass him the ball. He was sad. Uh, also, he got subbed off, and he he exited down near the goal line, and so he had to walk you know, around the corner and up the sideline and past the NYCFC bench to get to the Seattle bench. And the NYCFC fans were mad at Seattle and they were mad at Nuhu because Nuhu was one of the guys on the Sounders, of course he was, that kept going down. (laughs) Um, And so they were screaming at him the whole way up from the corner flag to the bench. And they're, you know, 10 yards away, if that. And he's just sort of walking around. He's smiling. He's laughing, kind of like, doing one of the shrug things, hands up. And this one fan just gives him the double middle finger and knew who just looked and just laughs. face. It was a great moment. A real highlight for me personally. Not the first Uh, time you've seen knew who play, but a better press box seat to watch it happen. And I'm sure a very satisfying performance for you to, to experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was wishing that he, you know, he, the tonight was the night that knew who would score a goal, but alas, (laughs) <laughs> well, he is the spirit animal of allocation disorder, and so we appreciate that you got to spend some yeah. time with him last night. So Seattle, moving on. Uh, New York City FC now have to bounce back. We'll see how they re- respond in league play. Uh, game on Easter Sunday against RSL at Yankee Stadium. So they don't have a long turnaround. Um, we'll be back talking about some ownership stuff. Joe Mansueto. Speaking our language, Paul. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Paul, you had a story come out on Thursday, today, uh, that was, I think, like 17 years in the making. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's how long we were working on it. We all uh, have both pieces. You, you spoke with Joe Mansueto, the Chicago Fire owner, 
about his his vision, his plan, um, his background. For those of you that aren't familiar with Mansueto, interesting piece, interesting window into how he operates, um, and some interesting discussion and a very interesting quote about the MLS roster rules and what he would like to see in regards to them. So break it down for me. Yeah. What did he tell you? Let me give you a little like background on this piece for people who are listening. I sat with Joe Mansueto a year ago in March for the first time. Same same location at his office at the Wrigley Building, which is um, one of the historic buildings here in Chicago, which he owns. He bought in 2018. And we met and sat and talked and had like a nice, you know, hour plus interview, really focused on his background and his, you know, his how he built Morningstar. I saw I saw a lot of connections between kind of how he built Morningstar and how he managed was managing the fire in those early days. Um, but the story didn't run. And, you know, it didn't run because I was kind of missing too much about what Mansueto's vision was specifically for where to take the fire. And so, you know, we tried to find some different times to sit down a second time to kind of fill those holes. And it just didn't work out. You know, my, my wife and I, we had we had a baby and, you know, pandemic stuff was happening and World Cup qualifying started and I was on the road. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I sat with him a year later, almost to the day. And we talked a lot about the vision for the fire. And it's a good thing that we waited because we've seen a lot of what Joe Mansueto is bringing to Major League Soccer and what he's bringing to the fire. And that is a significant amount of investment, Sam. So he bought the fire for around $400 million. He That's not including the $65 million he's paying to get the fire out of Bridgeview. Wasn't it three hundred and twenty? I spoke to a source uh, today, actually, who who confirmed to me that it was around $400 million. Uh, I know the okay. Forbes valuations at the time, we did the math at $321 million. I was told today that no, the number is actually about $400 million and change. Give or take a few million, Sam. You know, when you're at that number, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, who cares? Uh, uh, um, <laughs> Just a few million. Yeah. No biggie. So... You know, he spent $465 million just to buy the club and move them out of Bridgeview. That's not including the millions of transfer fees that he spent on players like Shakiri and Jairo Torres and Federico Navarro and John Duran and the players who aren't Robert here Barrich. anymore, Robert Barrett yeah. and Aliceta. Um, It's not including the fact that he has taken the back office staff, the front office staff, both soccer and non-soccer from you know, 65 employees to 155 employees right now with another 30 jobs listed currently to fill. Um, so he moved the the whole organization from Bridgeview to the to downtown Chicago. Um, and so there's a lot of change happening. And it, I think it speaks to kind of how Joe Mansueto sees investment in the league. He wants to spend right away. He believes in kind of the long-term vision Part of that reason, he bought FC Lugano for a few million dollars in Switzerland and wants to build a multi-club system. Um, but he he kind of has a long-term view, but with very aggressive short-term spending. Very much wants to build up the the, the spine of the the club. He wants the, both the culture of the short club. and long term. Yeah. And so when when he spoke to me about all these things he was doing at the club and his idea of culture and building the right way and learning from each year. I asked him about how that impacted the way he saw MLS and, and their rules and, and how to best grow and change there. And, and Sam, that's where the important quote for here, for us at Allocation Disorder yeah. came into play. This is a very Allocation Disorder quote, and I'm going to read it to you. Quote, I would love to see the roster rules more decentralized and let the owners choose how to allocate the spend across their roster. And then you'd see different models. Hey, this team is loading up on three players that are doing great. Or, hey, this team is spreading it evenly. They're doing even better. For the same dollar, maybe get more bang for the buck because it's all about quality of play. And so if you can drive quality of play up with the same spend, the league wins. I would be in favor of more liberalization of how the money is spent on players. He goes on in the next quote or later in the interview. Hold on. Can we just like... Round of applause. <laughs> well, I, I'd like to know two things. First is that like there are a lot of owners who feel this way. He's maybe not a lot of me. There are owners who feel some. this way. Some owners. Yeah. He's probably, I, I did say he was maybe the first to vocalize it. I, I, it's probably not fair. I think Jorge Moss was probably the first to vocalize it. I think Joe Mansueto. Better messenger. Better messenger. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. 
he he also noted that you know he believed that the league should continue in kind of very not not necessarily slow growth but targeted growth understanding that the model has worked the numbers are going up it's not about spending more money aggressively right away but that there does need to be some change in order to maximize how these teams are spending in order to see more growth and you know that i think is significant for an owner like Joe Mansueto to say because what are you going to say to him at the BOG meeting, which, by the way, is being held today in the Dallas area? So the day my story came Literally out. Literally as we speak, probably. Right. What can you really say to the guy? He's spent a half a billion dollars on the Chicago fire. He has every right to think that things should be done differently. And it's tough to tell him, hey, worry about your own team, because he is doing that. And he's trying to, to um, kickstart a market that has been a drag on MLS in in the last decade. So I I think it's significant, as you said, because the messenger here is one of the new owners who has come in and invested hundreds of millions of dollars in the league. Who hasn't gotten caught cheating. And who you, you sold on this idea of growth, right? To convince somebody to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, you're selling them a vision. And Sam, that's been discussed in some of the things that you've written and some of the the stories we've done in the past is that there is this this moment happening, this moment of reckoning. If it's not happening now, it's going to happen soon, where all of these owners who have come in in this, this era of growth have been sold one vision of growth and of, you know, the change that's coming around soccer. And eventually that needs to manifest into reality. The rubber has to hit the road at a certain point. You can't sell growth without actual results forever. You can't just sell potential indefinitely. There has to be some actual like movement. And this is one way I think that could drive some movement. How much? I don't know. But um, I don't think it would hurt. And it also doesn't even require any additional spending. Like that's the thing. Right. Right. We've we've talked about it enough on the show. Listeners, you know, you'll we don't even really need to go through the talking points. You can just spend more efficiently if you change how the designations work with the roster rules. And, and that's basically what Mansueto is calling for here. Um, I think he should get together with Arthur Blank and Larry Berg and Larry Tannenbaum at Atlanta and LAFC and Toronto and Ferran Soriano at NYCFC and anyone else uh, on their team, right? And they should make this happen. Like they don't sit on the product strategy committee or most of those people don't. Um, they don't, none of them chair it. That's Greg Kerfoot and, and Clark Hunt, Vancouver and Dallas owners respectively. But like, it, it's past time. It's past time. And, and, and there's no reason not to do it anymore. You can still maintain competitive balance. It's not going to evaporate that. Um, and and <laughs> it would raise the quality of play. And there's no downside to that. You know, there's just not. It might not lead to a bonanza TV deal or massive ratings. I don't think it would. But it wouldn't hurt, and and there's so little reason to not do it at this point. And and the only thing that'll change it is a critical mass of owners, and we'll see. And I mean, I think we're approaching that. There are but, other owners, Sam, that you didn't mention there. Jorge Mas in Miami is one of them. Carl Lindner mm-hmm. in Cincinnati has certainly shown a willingness to spend and, and spend to build a stadium. John Ingram hasn't spent significantly the same way on the on-field product, but... Nashville is building has built a stadium that they're about to open and David Tepper and David Charlotte. Tepper and Charlotte same thing spent 325 million just to come into the league St. Louis spent a ton of money for their expansion slot exactly Vegas whenever they get in like for however much they get in they're gonna spend like 400 million on an expansion slot or whatever right like, so you, you think they're gonna not want to go for it and the way one person I spoke to was talking to me about this and Sam you and I have these conversations all the time is like that's money that's that outweighs what has been spent by some of these legacy owners over 25 years and and so it gives them a yeah. little bit more to stand on. Yeah, and got more juice. You know, Joe Mansueto was, is an incredibly um, kind person. I'll say that to start off, like very um, soft spoken and and uh, you know, he's been understated. He's, yeah, he's been called kind of like in a story that they did um, here in Chicago on him a few years back, way before he bought the fire. Was the quiet billionaire was the the magazine cover, and yet. I mean, this is a guy who's going into the BOG meeting who's worth, you know, somewhere between 
Forbes estimation of like $5.6 billion and others' estimations around $8 billion. So it's not like he's going to get pushed around or feel like he can't say clearly what he feels. And I think that's important that you have you have these people who who, yes, have a significant amount of resources and thus a willingness to spend are are showing that willingness to spend by putting hundreds of millions of dollars down into buying into this league are doing the best that they can to revive those teams that they're asked to revive or to start these teams that they're being asked to start. And they're looking around the rest of the league and they're saying, okay, if you're Arthur Blank in Atlanta, you're sharing your ticket revenue with FC Dallas. But when FC Dallas... 33% of it. Right. And w- But when FC Dallas signs Ricardo Pepe, because of the change in rules a few years ago, they're sharing 0% of that sale yeah, as a when homegrown they, when player. When they sell them for $20 million bucks right. and To another MLS owner, by the way. Right. David Blitzer. <laughs> and and so they're doing this, and, and they're not keeping up with the same investment to bring people to their stands, to fill the stands and add the ticket revenue to drive forward the growth of the league. I mean, if you're Arthur Blank, how does that not drive you completely insane? I, you have to think it does. And I, I, I think that you're going to, again, you're going to start hitting a breaking point soon where these owners who are spending are saying, okay, this model doesn't work. Arthur Blank, it worked when you signed two of the best players in MLS history in essentially one transfer window, one roster build, Miguel Amiron and Joseph Martinez. And you won an MLS Cup. And you had the best coach in the league. But they've tried since then to, to, to spend under the DP model of spending. And they've signed all these superstar players and they haven't worked out. And that they are probably the best indication of the flaws of the DP system. They're spending all of the money that they can spend on three players. And then they're completely dependent on whether those three players are hits or misses. And, and it's been misses for Atlanta. And so you have this huge club with all of this revenue coming in, probably one of the only profitable teams in Major League Soccer. And yet you're not winning trophies. You're looking around. You're watching what Colorado's doing, what Stan Kroenke, one of the richest owners in the league, is doing. And you're saying, what the hell am I doing? Why are we doing this? Why did I buy into this? If this is the, the determined path of growth, quote unquote, for Major League Soccer. And so I just think we're... We're going to start reaching this point where some of the frustrations start to exist. And I I do want to point out, like, Joe Mansueto didn't say this in frustration. You know, he's he's he comes from an investment background. He he really spoke about this in terms of kind of how do we build best for the long term? Let's still be smart about it. Let's not lose competitive balance. But this doesn't require any extra spending. It allows us to be more efficient potentially with the money, potentially improve the play on the field, and you're not asking any more of the owners financially. Like, why wouldn't we do this? And he was very calm about it. Like, It's a great question. And he said, I'm not on product strategy. They stuck me yeah. on the finance committee, is what he said to me. <laughs> which, uh, which makes that sense. That sounds way less fun. Way less fun, <laughs> but it makes sense. I mean, the guy, you know, he owns Morningstar and... They yeah, managed. He could probably add some value. They, they managed two hundred twenty-four billion dollar billion dollars in assets, so he knows what he's doing in the finance side of things as well. But it just it it wasn't you know this wasn't an owner venting frustration. It was more of a hey, I've been in this league a few years. I'm looking at the situation. I'm looking at how I'm allowed to spend money. I'm listening to what my sporting director is telling me, and I just don't understand how this isn't an option for us. Paul, respectfully, he would never have said that on the record if he was not incredibly frustrated about it. Yeah, I would imagine that there was, you know. <laughs> he, I'm sure his tone was fine. His tone was nice fine. That's all I'm trying to but, say. He wasn't but, like shouting from the rooftops. It's not his personality type. You don't call out the league in that way. And that's what that was um, if you're not incredibly frustrated. Speaking of incredibly frustrated, we're going to talk in the next segment about an ownership group that I don't even really know where to begin with them. But um, we're going to talk about the San Jose Earthquakes and the TV deal. And Paul, you wanting to jump in on one more thing? Just really quickly, I'm glad you said that because the TV deal, when we come back to that in the next segment, is important. And it it links to that second quote from Joe Mansueto about how to measure growth. And he said, we're going to get a pretty good marker of that growth when this TV deal happens. And for that reason, I'm a little bit scared of what the reports are recently about who might be involved, what the money might look like. And the implications. I am. I'm a huge <laughs> hater, um, and I'll get into why I'm a hater in the next segment.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We got a little something for the San Jose Earthquakes here in a sec, but we're going to start with where we ended the last segment, and that's the TV deal. Um, I reported earlier this week that MLS and Apple were engaged in talks about presume, about some uh, streaming rights. Um, it emerged the, the following day from Andrew Marchand and John Orand from the New York Post and Sports Business Journal. Uh, they're kind of the two big dogs on the sports media beat. Um, they have a podcast together and they were basically talking about this like it's done. Um, they were saying that Apple and MLS seem likely headed for a partnership, um, could be announced in the next four weeks, I believe is what they said, and that it would be pretty good money for MLS. I don't know what their definition of pretty good money for MLS is, um, but it sounds like Apple's in the game and will be in the game when that deal kicks in next year. Paul, if I had to guess, I think they'll probably end up with Apple, ESPN, and Univision. Um, maybe somebody else gets in the mix when it's all said and done. But that's sort of my expectation at this point. But you're afraid. You're nervous. No, I, I'm... You're, you're hating. Well, first of all, I'm intrigued. Why don't you want MLS to thrive? Well, that's not fair. Um... <laughs> No, I think uh, we say this all the time, like our jobs are linked to the success of, of soccer in this country, right? So, you know, the work we do to report on this sport is all about kind of holding. It's a labor of love. Yeah, but it's also like a big part of it is also ho- holding the powers to that be accountable and, and challenging kind of the way they do things. Um, because if you don't do that, then nothing ever gets change nothing ever gets considered and and the people that are in power have unchecked power right so i want to start there like we want the sport to grow we want major league soccer to continue to grow i think that's fair to say um certainly we've seen the fruits of that since i started covering the league way back in 2007 at the washington post and one of the first things i covered was the start of the development academy and we've seen what happened there and and the success that's happened there but You know, I do think that MLS has reached this point, like we were talking about in the last segment, where they are kind of stuck in the ways that they do things, and they don't believe that they need to change at all. Or at least certainly in discussions around the league, there are people who strongly believe that that is the attitude coming from HQ and coming from some of the powers that be, the owners who have more of the power and of the direction of the league. And... I kind of felt like a, a TV deal that fell short of their goals would be similar to U.S. soccer missing the World Cup in 2018. Nobody wanted U.S. soccer to miss the World Cup in 2018. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I got laid off from 442 because the U.S. soccer missed the World Cup in 2018. It has it has a ripple effect throughout the industry. So when I say that I think I'm a little bit concerned about this TV deal It's what I'm trying to say is that I hope that the message isn't lost, that there are a lot of TV networks and a lot of people out there saying you need to improve the product to get the type of money that you think you deserve. But if Apple comes in and offers a good package and it syncs up in the right way with ESPN, and that's the question mark I still have is like ESPN, I think a lot of the value they see is in the ESPN plus side of things and the amount of content that MLS gives them on ESPN plus. I wonder how that gets divvied up and how that changes the numbers for ESPN if, if Apple is as a partner, if at all. But if they sync up well and you add Univision, maybe MLS winds up at the number that they were hoping. Maybe they end up at 300 or $350 million a year. And you know, if they do that, do they take anything out of this? Do they say, 
we need to change? Or did they say, look, very clearly, we don't need to change. We got the money we wanted. We can start to reinvest some of this and we'll use this to, to get the next. I don't know, but it scares me a little bit because I do think there is a message there that's been sent by kind of the way these negotiations have gone. That is, you know, the TV numbers aren't great. You need to improve the product on the field in order to make the product a little bit better to bring in, hopefully, bring in more of an audience and more interest. And then you'll get the reward in the financial package in the media rights deal. And I don't know. I don't know if that'll be lost or if that message is even I, being received right now. I don't. First of all, I would be surprised if the number got that high in terms of the annual revenue from the American broadcasters. Second of all, even if it does, it doesn't change the audience numbers that have been the case for ever. Um, and, and those audience numbers are low. We all know that, right? And I think I'll give the league credit. Like, no matter what happens with the number, they're going to be trying to, to build those numbers. Like, no matter how much money they get, they understand that the ratings are bad and they understand that they need to grow that audience. And so I think that's going to be a concern regardless of where this media deal ends. Um, I think the concern would be heightened if they get less money, for sure. I think there would be a little bit more soul-searching. But I think there will be some no matter what. So I think I'll start there. Um, I think Apple, though, would be a good partner for MLS. I think it would be interesting. Um, they just got in with baseball. They're doing Friday night games on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, I didn't watch. I haven't gotten the chance to watch that yet. But the reviews sort of mixed. People are impressed with the technology, with the picture. Not everybody loves the broadcast, the commentators. Um, I think that's to be expected. And I think that'll kind of iron itself out as time goes on. Um, but the thing that I'm interested about is that Apple is trying to get into sports. And if they get in early in that process with MLS, then I think that's a good thing for the league. Maybe they'll give it some TLC that they that another partner maybe wouldn't. They'll try and blow it out. They'll try and do a good job. I think there's some good, oh, I'm going to use this word. I hate it. I think there's some uh, good synergy <laughs> between the young demographic that MLS has, uh, the tech-savvy demographic, and what Apple TV Plus is. Um, so I think it could be cool. I think MLS should try and be doing partnerships with innovative companies like that. So I think from that perspective, it could be interesting. Obviously, they have more money than God. So if they throw some of that MLS's way, then that's that's probably good on the whole, um, assuming there is some soul searching at the end of the day, of course. Um, but yeah, I think it's potentially interesting. Um, and, and I would be more into that idea than like ESPN and Fox just re-upping. up, yeah. you know, re -upping. So I think... You're spot on, Sam, in that it's very clear Apple's trying new stuff, you know, with, with their broadcast. They had the little data in the right corner, lower right corner of the screen that was going through different types of, of information, whether it was, you know, advanced stats or betting information. They're, they're clearly willing to try different things on, on how they built their broadcast team. I think they're open to innovation, which is always important, and especially for a league like MLS, which itself has been open to innovation on the field and off the field. And I think that can really help the league. And, and they've they've been willing to open things up for broadcasters before in, in new ways. And I, that'll be I think that'd be I think it'd be a great fit. I do. Um, again, my my concern is more the bigger picture um, in, in whether or not there will be soul searching. And I don't know for sure that there will like like we've talked on this show before about you know, quality of play and, and what fans want to see when they tune in to soccer games and kind of the com the competition, the competitiveness of the space for soccer. And, you know, I, I know for a fact that MLS believes very strongly that they know exactly what the audience wants, despite the fact that their numbers are don't indicate that. So, you know, is that introspection or not? I don't know. I would say yeah. not so far. Fair enough. Uh, and we have a lot to learn in this area still. There's a lot to be determined, a lot to be announced, a lot to be revealed. So I think we can avoid too, too many conclusions. Um, but we do have one topic that I thought we were going to get to earlier in the show, honestly, but we saved maybe the best for last. We'll see how it goes. Um, San Jose, the earthquakes, they are dead last in the league. They have two points through six matches. Um, they have allowed a league worst or tied for league worst 15 goals. Uh, they've scored nine, so so they're finding the back of the net with, with some decent frequency. 
Um, but they're a mess. And a lot of the mess is down to the relationship between head coach Matias Almeida and the entire organization at this point. Um, Almeida is in the last year of his contract. You know, it was sort of surprising that they brought him back after last season. Um, new regime in the front office with Chris Leach as the general manager. Uh, he was out there acquiring some solid, talented players from inside MLS for the most part and jettisoning the Almeida guys who had been with him at previous stops in his coaching career. Um, and guys that don't necessarily fit the very specific way that Matias Almeida wants to play. Um, despite all of that, they brought him back. Um, he very clearly does not want to be there. Uh, he also very clearly doesn't seem to be interested in quitting. He looks like he's trying to get himself fired so he can be paid out and then he can go be free and do whatever that whatever it is that he wants to do. Um, Alex Morgan, not the women's national team star, but Quake's reporter, Alex Morgan, tweeted out on Wednesday that after skipping last weekend's post-game press conference, Matias Almeida is also refusing to attend today's midweek presser. He has repeatedly violated MLS media policy and should be fined for doing so. Really bad look for the league and the earthquakes. 100% correct. Um, sort of further illustrates that point I was just making about how this man is trying to get fired, <laughs> it seems like. Uh, the Quakes, they pay him a lot of money. They don't seem to want to pay him out. Um, and so they're just continuing on in this toxic relationship. The team is terrible. Uh, they're throwing, they're throwing away a season, an entire year, just completely throwing it away. It's one thing to be rebuilding and be bad, but building is in that word, right? You're trying to work towards something. This is not working towards anything. This is a disservice to the players. This is a disservice to the fans. And unfortunately, Paul, it kind of makes sense in a messed up way. Because if you're San Jose, what are you losing? You're not going to make the playoffs. You never make the playoffs. Never. Okay. You're not going to draw fans. You don't really have any. No disrespect to the, to the Earthquakes fans who are out there through thick and thin, mostly thin with this team. Like, more power more power to you guys. Um, but it's not like they're packing out that stadium every week to begin with. So, you, you ride it out with Almeida. You endure a crappy year and then you let him go no cost and you hire somebody new you start fresh in 2023 and and what have you lost really you're just maintaining the status quo and uh, i don't know it's just it, it's just a disservice to the league to the players to the fans it's kind of offensive and it's par for the course for john fisher and his ownership yeah, I, I would I would push back on the idea that it makes sense in that if you are going to build past Almeida after this year, which I think is very clearly what's going to happen, there is a precedent in recent history of this league of making a coaching hire midway through the season and starting to build under that permanent coach before the next season. Yeah, but but that would require them to pay two coaches at the same time. Correct. Correct. It would. Yes. But I'm pushing back on what are you losing? That's what you're losing. Money. Your money is what you're losing. You're, and and they clearly are not willing to do it. Yeah. And and that's 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 where it comes down to is is they're uh, they're looking at it saying we'd rather pay Matias Almeida to be this. This guy right now who has no interest in being here to coach us and to I don't know, finish out this year that's going to be a a lame duck year anyways. That's going that, that isn't really a part of the building process. And they've just decided that. The ownership has just decided, you know what? This can't be part of the what's the what's what's the best case scenario that we're going to have an interim manager and we're going to be paying Almeida to not coach and we're not going to do anything anyways. But that's the wrong way to look at it because you can Of course it's wrong. You can start building. You can yeah. look around the league and go and talk to Dave Vandenberg, if you want to, in New England, an assistant coach who was the top of our GM survey as the next assistant to get a head coaching job, who could get a head coaching job. You could go talk to Ante Razov. You could go talk to whoever. Literally whoever anyone in the want. world. Go talk to whoever. Anyone in the world. And and you can go make a hire that's not an interim manager. And yes, you would still be paying Almeida to, to, to go away. But that's a part of it. That's a part of owning a team is sometimes it's owning your mistakes or owning when something doesn't work and moving on. But it's not the way that this ownership group has chosen to function. 
I don't think they really have chosen to function this way with their baseball team either. Obviously, Moneyball and everything with the Oakland A's is indicative of the lack of spending there in general. Yeah. But, you know, what it what this is, though, is it's less than that, right? Moneyball is we're not going to spend and find us a way to be competitive without spending. This is, to your point, Sam, I think this is insulting to fans to ask them to come out and watch a team that very clearly is saying we don't care at all about this year or we we don't care at all that our coaching staff doesn't care which is the same thing and and that's where i think you have to draw a line of you know when it when it gets to this point of like ins- essentially insulting fans and essentially you know it's 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 tanking in a way which every league is trying to get rid of it's not even tanking because they don't what what's what's the pot of gold at the end of this like yeah but it's the world it's class the, disaster it's the equivalent of it in the sense of like throwing away one year's results for the quote unquote tanking betterment has of the a club. purpose tanking has a purpose as on a sporting level yes and no it depends right tanking the NBA it's a lottery you have no guarantee of having the top spot I mean we can get into you're all at the least increasing ways. your chances of getting the top spot. <laughs> like like there is there is a there is a goal to it right. There's no goal to this. The only goal is to save John Fisher a million dollars or whatever is left on Matias Almeida's contract. That's the only goal here. Like, and that's a joke, man. If you're going to own a sports team, own a sports team. Like, don't just bleed it dry and neglect it and treat it like crap. Like, like, ah, there's a responsibility. And he's not taking any of it. And it's infuriating because this is the way he's run this ship the entire time since it's come back and it's bad for MLS. It, they're a disaster in that market. They're invisible. I mean, this is a team that had the the all-time leading goal scorer. Right? Chris Wondolowski. What'd they do with him? They made the playoffs like three times. They had one good season, basically. 2012. Which was completely random, if we're being honest, lucky. Like, it, it's just... It, the whole thing's just so offensive, man. It hurts the league. It, it's... It hurts the sport. And, and like, that's the thing. It's like soccer in this country needs all the help it can get. And this league needs all the help it can get. And, and like, part of this is there's like almost like a, like a missionary, like a religious missionary element to this stuff, right? Where you like really have to believe in it to go after it. And like, wh- what is John Fisher doing? What does he believe in? Like, does he believe in soccer? Does he like this? Why is he owning this team? Is it just to increase the valuation and flip it? Like, if that's the case, go ahead and sell it, my man. MLS doesn't need you. You're holding the lead back. Get out or change your behavior. Yeah. And Sam, this comes back to what we talked about at the beginning of this show. This is this is where, where the dilemma lies in the BOG room, in that meeting that's happening today while we're talking, where you've got around the same table, Arthur Blank, Joe Mansueto, and... Larry Berg and these owners who are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to try to push the league forward. And at the same table, you've got Stan Kroenke and you've got John Fisher and you've got owners who actively are not. Mm-hmm. And, and there are at some point you're going to hit a breaking point. Like how can this continue in this way and how can MLS truly grow the way they want to grow to your point? If he, if everyone's not all in on the basics like into in this structure that exists for MLS, I mean, just trying trying to compete, right? That's that's all we're asking here. They're not even trying to compete. They're throwing away a year, and I just I just feel bad for the fans. I feel bad for the players because like they're victims in this too, essentially. Like, you know, you're Jeremy Abobasi, you're Jackson Ewell, you're Cade Cowell. You're like this is like hurting my career. And you try and make the best of it and you try and take advantage of the minutes that you get. But like, who wants to play for a team like this? It's a joke, man. It's just a joke. And thankfully, MLS has far fewer of these situations than they used to. Um, But San Jose is a real disaster. And I don't know what can be done about it. It's clear something needs to be done. It's clear something needs to be done. And... And I don't know what this the solution is, but um, it, you know the more these incidents happen with Almeida, the the more it puts it under the microscope. And by the way, th- they can try to scapegoat Matias Almeida, but.
but he has made it very clear that he doesn't want to be there. And and I do I will say he has some responsibility too. Oh well, he has a lot. This is like a, you, a complete you abdication can, by him. You can he walk signed away. a contract. Yeah, well, but if you're gonna walk away, walk away. You don't get to yeah. to sit no. and and just collect your money. Like there is no, a way that is... there is a way that this can be done where Fisher keeps his money and Almeida gets his wish of leaving, and that's called a mutual termination. So the owner is not the only one at fault here with what's going no, on. With the no, no, and 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 Almeida, by the way, is he had a responsibility when he signed that contract to see it out to the best of his ability, and he's not doing that, and and that is a joke as well. So no one is coming out of this looking good. And according to you know different reports and some of the things that we've heard, you know there have been instances where there have been other jobs available for Almeida and chances to leave with. You know, with San Jose maybe not playing ball in those in those moments, and I think that's led yeah. to this this point as well. So it's you know, there's again blame on both sides. Yep, for sure. Um, well, that's a happy way to end the show, huh? We all we're, <laughs> aren't we just the happiest podcast? Don't don't we get that feedback more than anything else? That's just how happy yeah, our, our yeah, podcast yeah, is. Exactly. Hey, you know what? We we led with some good stuff. I thought some positivity. And, and we'll close with some positivity, too. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to if anyone has made it this far on the YouTube video. Congratulations. You win a gold star. Um, thanks, thanks for watching that. Um, hopefully, we can tweet out some video clips from this show and kind of add on to what, the, what this is. Um, thanks for your support. As always, this has been Allocation Disorder. I'm Sam. He's Paul. We'll be back next week.